baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for our weekly Braves and baseball chat. Lots of stuff going on since we got out of the All-Star break where the Braves came out red hot. Then all of a sudden have run into a couple of stumbling blocks. First in Milwaukee and then of course the opener of a big four game series against the Washington Nationals at SunTrust Park in which the Braves were blown out and the Nationals trimmed a game off of Atlanta's lead in the NL East. Those two teams are going to see a lot of each other before this month is over and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, of course, the end of the month also signifies something big across all of baseball, and that is the July 31st trade deadline. Everything is ramping up towards that, so I thought it'd be a good time to maybe take an inventory of what exactly Atlanta has in the minor league system. To help me do that, Eric Cole of Talking Chops is going to stop by a little bit later. They just released a brand-new Top 30 Braves prospects updated for the midseason. I invite you to go over to TalkingChop.com and find that, and make sure you're following along with all the great stuff they're doing over there as they provide an updated ranking of the Braves' prospects, which should come in handy because Atlanta could be trading some of those prospects to fill some needs on the big league club and make a run through October. I also invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can leave a rating and a review. Those are always appreciated. And you can connect with the show on social media. On Twitter, it's at FromTheDiamond underscore, and I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, you can find the show at From the Diamond, no underscore there. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And, of course, you can find every episode of the show and all the articles at FromTheDiamond.com. So with our plugging out of the way, let's take a look at what's been going on for the Braves, who, again, have been one of the hottest teams in baseball over the last seven weeks. I mean, really, since June 1st, the Braves have played about as good or better than any team in all of baseball in either league. The team chasing them, however, the Washington Nationals, is the team that is probably playing just as good, if not a little bit better, than the Braves over the last couple of months. It could mean an interesting race in the National League East, and I would imagine with over 60 games to go that that will probably be the case, especially with these two teams meeting head-to-head about a dozen times before this season is over. We'll see three more of those games at SunTrust Park over the weekend. Then the Braves will head to Washington next week and play another three-game set as part of a six-game road trip for the Braves that will also include a stop in Philadelphia. Just taking a quick look at how the second half started, there really weren't any complaints in San Diego where the Braves picked up a three-game sweep. The offense was doing its thing, the pitching took care of the rest, and it seemed like all was well. Braves ran into a couple of rough games, though, in Milwaukee as the Brewers came to life, and that was a club that had really been struggling over the last month and had to start wondering where exactly are they going over the next week or 10 days leading up to the trade deadline. That's a question Milwaukee may still have to ask, but they did take two out of three from the Braves, which helped out their cause immensely as they had not won a series in over two weeks. Despite the bad outcome in Milwaukee and a couple of rough games for the Braves, they finished that road trip 4-2, and two, and that sweep in San Diego, that had not happened since 2006 
winning pitchers in that particular series, Jorge Sosa, John Smoltz, Chuck James. When you haven't done something since John Smoltz was involved, it's probably time to do it again. Be that as it may, Braves fell flat in the opener of their series against the Washington Nationals as they were blown out 13-4. to Not only was Steven Strasburg doing it on the mound, he was doing it at the plate. He homered and drove in five runs in that game, had three hits as well, and, and was really a one-man wrecking crew, and that's not something you expect from the opposing starting pitcher. Now, the Nationals come into this series without Max Scherzer, who's dealing with a back injury and landed on the injured list right after the All-Star game. The Braves, though, are coming into this one a little understaffed as well, and that's a big reason why Kyle Wright was on the mound for the Braves to open up the four-game set against Washington. Wright had been pitching great baseball in AAA Gwinnett, but things really came unraveled on him in the third inning against Washington in his return to the major leagues. You could argue a couple of plays. If they're made behind him, maybe that game plays out completely differently. Ronald Acuna Jr. had a diving play in left field. Ball got past him. Another ball hit deep to center field that Ender Inciarte was unable to drag in against the wall. That's another play that, if made, maybe things go a little bit better. But Wright really seemed to lose his command after that. And the next thing you know, the Washington Nationals have piled up eight runs in that inning. And that's a tall order for any offense, including the Braves, to come back from. So there was a name right there that you haven't heard in a while, and that's Ender Inciarte. He was activated from the injured list as Kyle Wright was also brought up from AAA Gwinnett, and the Braves sent out Bryce Wilson and Waskari Noah to make room on the roster for those two men. Inciarte was inserted back in the starting lineup, batting eighth. He took over center field. Ronald Acuna Jr. moved back to left field, and Austin Riley took a seat on the bench on Thursday night. It's going to be interesting to see how Brian Snitker manages with the return of Inciarte. The glove certainly is something that helps the Braves out immensely. And then when you look at what Austin Riley brings to the table, he's been serviceable in left field, no two ways about it. But dating back to June the 22nd, Austin Riley's bat has really cooled off and the strikeouts have really piled up. 75 at-bats since then, 32 strikeouts for Riley, who has just four home runs and nine runs knocked in over that stretch as well. May just be time to give him a breather every now and again. And against Steven Strasburg, one of the better right-handers in baseball, not a bad idea to throw Inciarte back out there get a left-handed bat in the lineup, get his glove out there, and just have him at the bottom of the order where Austin Riley had actually been dropped due to his slump over the past month or so. The Braves are going to have to figure that out. Austin Riley is going to have to figure that out, and there is time to do that. And I think the major leagues is the place to do it. The only way that you're going to squeeze a guy like that off the roster would be if you absolutely had to have more pitching. But I think the Braves will be able to manage and manipulate the bullpen, and that already started on Friday morning when the Braves optioned Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright back to Gwinnett, and they're bringing back Wes Parsons and a new name in Patrick Weigel, who will finally be making his major league debut after having to go through arm surgery in 2017. It set him back for a while. So it should be interesting to see what those two men bring to the mix. We know a lot about Parsons and, of course, Patrick Weigel, who is one of the top 30 Braves prospects, according to Talking Chop, who we'll talk a little bit about as well. It'll be exciting to see him finally get a crack at the big leagues in any capacity, as Weigel was one of the top arms for the Braves not too long ago and could be a big help as the Braves go through their internal options with the trade deadline right around the corner. The Braves could make a deal that would involve moving someone off of the Major League squad and some prospects as well that could be on the move in order to bring in a piece the Braves need, whether that be a starting pitcher, a couple of bullpen arms. We'll see what kind of deals come to pass, but I wouldn't expect the roster we're looking at right now, which has some definite holes and some definite needs, I wouldn't expect that to be the roster that we're looking at on August the 1st. 
Getting back to Riley, though, I think that giving him the day off, not a bad thing. And the Braves now have some outfield depth that they didn't have before and a good glove and a guy that can run the bases in Enciarte that you could use late in the game as well, depending on how you want to deploy your outfielders and how you want to do things defensively. It's never a bad thing to have a deep 25-man roster, and the Braves do have that, even if everybody's not swinging the bats well at the same time. Getting back to the other big story for the Braves, it's the starting rotation and trying to piece some things together. We all know that Mike fulton going back to AAA was not part of what the Braves had planned in 2019. Well, Max Fried landing on the injured list with a blister issue, another thing that further complicates the Braves' rotation, at least in the short term. That pushed Kyle Wright into action against the Washington Nationals and bumped the rest of the rotation back a day with Julio Tehran and Mike Soroka going Friday and Saturday, and then Kevin Gosman looking to come back and jump into the rotation on Sunday to close out that series. Gosman has been down in the minor leagues for a handful of starts and really feels like he may have unlocked the key to success by finding a third pitch, reclaiming his changeup, which would make him a much more well-rounded pitcher as he'd really kind of turned into a two-pitch guy with fastball and splitter. That changeup has the ability to really make his arsenal that much better. If he's able to rely on that, then perhaps he can tap into some of the results that he had with the Braves last year. And, of course, the way he's been pitching in the minor league rehab starts is certainly encouraging, if nothing else. But the big test comes Sunday against the Washington Nationals. The bottom line with the Braves' rotation is that they have some big questions to answer. Even with Dallas Keuchel on board, the Braves have still got to figure out at least one spot in that rotation, thanks to fulton being in the minor leagues and a couple of young guys struggling in Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright. Both those guys have had tough outings, and the Braves are going to be turning to Kevin Gosman, who has been out for over a month. So a lot of things to figure out with the trade deadline ahead. I went through some of the possible trade scenarios and trade targets for the Braves. I think those remain the same, but the question becomes what teams are going to be sellers and what teams are going to be buyers. And until all of those teams decide exactly what they're going to do, it's really hard to predict what pitchers could be on the move. A couple of months ago, you would think the Texas Rangers could be sellers. Well, they haven't played well since the All-Star break. That might mean that a Mike Miner or a Lance Lynn would be available and perhaps a couple of arms from the Rangers' bullpen as well. Now, all of a sudden, the San Francisco Giants have climbed back toward 500. I still think they owe it to themselves to get whatever they can in trade for some of the bullpen pieces they have and perhaps Madison Bumgarner. But I don't think the Giants are walking into this thinking they want to go into a four- or five-year rebuild and are looking to really tear the whole thing down. That doesn't mean that Bumgarner is going to be back with him next year, and it doesn't mean that the return for whatever trade for a rental like that will be better than a compensatory draft pick. It really becomes what kind of market's out there, and if the Giants can get a few clubs interested and really drive up that price tag. And, oh, by the way, Madison Bumgarner threw a great start nine innings on Thursday for the Giants as they continue to pile up wins. So there are some obvious needs heading toward the trade deadline, and we know that when you start talking about trades, you start talking about the Braves minor league system, and that's exactly what we're going to do here on From the Diamond on this episode. I want to welcome in my friend Eric Cole, who writes for Talking Chop. Eric and his team over there have just gotten done releasing their top 30 Braves prospects, the midseason update. A lot of great work there. I invite you to check that out at TalkingChop.com. It's in multiple parts, a lot of reading, great in-depth scouting and projections, and all the things you could possibly want from a Braves top prospects list you'll find over at TalkingChop.com. Eric, I appreciate you making the time. Sounds like we've got a great crop of young Braves to talk about. But first and foremost, welcome to the show. And how you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's always good to talk to you about some baseball, talking prospects, all that good stuff. 
Well, we've been doing this for a number of years, and obviously over at Talking Chop, you guys take this prospecting thing about as seriously as anybody across Braves country. You've got a slew of writers now, and you guys work as this team, this well-oiled machine, if you will, and you just unleashed your Braves mid-season top 30 prospects. Walk me through the process of putting together this group before we start breaking it down player by player. Sure. Um, the way we do our list is we do it basically as a composite. Well, myself, Garrett Spain, Graal Vidak, Aaron Houston, Wayne Cavati, and Matt Powers are our minor league team. And what we do is we all put together our own personal rankings, doing our best not be influenced by each other's rankings, mm-hmm. uh, or at least as much as one can be when you talk to these guys every sure. day. And once we put our personal list together, we create a raw composite from that and kind of see what it looks like. What I did this year is because there's a lot of consistency amongst a lot of us on most rankings so that when there is a, like a weird deviation of one person has a guy, you know, six or seven higher or something like that, it can create some undesirable results. So this time around, we, I dropped the highest ranking and the lowest ranking of, for every player. And that kind of brought us to what the list is as, as everyone saw it. And it kind of brought it into, you know, again, this kind of gets rid of the outliers, you know, and there yeah. weren't a ton of those, but, you know, it just kind of makes it a little more consistent. All right, well, taking a look at this list, I think there's going to be some pretty familiar names toward the top, some of which have gotten some big league time, some of which were just in the 2019 draft class. But let's start at the top and work our way down, as most people like to do, even though when you release this, you did it in parts and you like to do the countdown, which I totally respect having done that before. Countdowns are also a lot of fun, but we'll go ahead and count up and we'll start at number one with the big reveal. Christian Pache, the number one prospect in the Braves system, according to the new Talking Chop list, I don't think it's really any surprise based on the preseason buzz this kid's been getting the last couple of years, the process of seeing him mature more as a hitter. He's growing into that power, which I think we all believed was there despite his homerless start to his professional career. And then, of course, there's that all-world defense. When you start to put together and paint the full picture of Christian Pache as he has grown really into his body and started to mature as a 20-year-old kid, having a great season in double-A, what really stands out to you, and what separates Christian Pache from, say, a Drew Waters? So, he, Pache was our unanimous pick. Everyone had him at the top. The reports we're getting on him are really, really good. Everything's improving that you wanted to improve. His approach at the plate, the power, just kind of his overall approach to hitting, just in general, the swing's improving. The defense is still all-world. Maybe he's not always the 80 runner that a lot of people had pegged him to be, mm-hmm. but he is a guy that is – He's a world-class athlete. If he wanted to be in the Olympic class, a lot of different things, he could have been that. And instead he chose to be a baseball player. He kind of gets the knock as, you know, from early in his career, you know, there was no power and he was just a very speedy guy. When you look at Pache, he doesn't look like that guy. He he definitely has the speed, but he's a big, big kid. And (laughs) you can see that there was going to be power there. And in 88 games, he's already eclipsed his career-high home run total. And he's just, everything's going really well for him. The reports we're getting are really good. It matches the eye test, what we're seeing. And in terms of that overall upside, plus the floor of even if he doesn't hit a ton or doesn't walk a ton, when you have that kind of defensive ability, you don't really have to do much to be a successful and productive major leaguer. And for us, that combination of a high floor, high ceiling, can do just about anything in the baseball field. You know, maybe you want to see a little bit more develop in some areas, but you can see it happening. It wasn't really that close. Yeah, well, you hear a lot about the two because they're playing in Mississippi in the same outfield, the two being Pache and, of course, Drew Waters. And these are guys that you and I both got to see come through Rome over the last couple of years, gone down to spring training and watch these guys do their work. But once you start to get to double-A, I think you start to realize just how close to the big leagues these kids are getting 
the Braves are a team that has shown in the past that you don't have to spend a ton of time in AAA. You may have to sign the guest book there, but you don't have to spend a ton of time there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how long Pache is a Gwinnett striper and how long Drew Waters is a Gwinnett striper, whether that is sometime in 2019 or sometime in 2020. And then what is their ETA to SunTrust Park? But I think both of them have to have you pretty excited. Now, sandwiched in between those guys, because Pache is one, and Drew Waters is actually Braves prospect number three on the talking shop list, is Ian Anderson. Now, all Ian Anderson has done is become really, I think, the most well-rounded and probably most exciting of the Braves' stable of young arms in the minor leagues. And that's certainly saying something. He's a kid I've liked for a couple of years. He's been my favorite Braves pitching prospect in terms of projectability and ceiling both. And the fact that uh, you look at the numbers, you look at the eye tests that you talk about, there's an awful lot to get excited about when you start talking about Ian Anderson. And if you're a fan of Braves minor league baseball, Eric, I don't know if there's a hotter ticket right now than going and watching Mississippi on a day Anderson's on the mound and Pache and Waters are in the outfield. Well, yeah, I mean, five of our six uh, prospects in the, in the Braves farm system are on that Mississippi roster. So yeah. that's definitely if you want to go, if you want to see the best prospects or at least a large number of them, because even then you can go further down our list and you'll find more Mississippi Braves. It's mm-hmm. definitely the deepest level the Braves have right now. Ian Anderson, the only thing that has been a knock on him has just been consistent command. And, you know, the walks have at times not really been his fault because you're dealing with the combination of minor league umpiring and the fact that he's still kind of learning his stuff. And, you know, it's high-octane stuff. It's a plus-plus fastball to, you know, the high 90s if he really reaches back. He sits more in that 95 range, more or less. And he has a you know, really good breaking ball, has a good change-up, which is something you always like to see out of those prep draft picks. And... What's happened over the last, I would say, months and months and a half is the command has gotten so much better, and it's almost like the walks he does give up are good ones. Like, they're good pitches, just kind of, you know, was barely missed as opposed to, you know, the wild misses and the, the multiple balls in the dirt and, you know, your catcher just having to die for his life trying to, you know, manage to keep the ball in front of him. Whereas now you're kind of seeing, you know, barely missing here and there, really good pitches that a hitter just decided to take on that particular count. And he's getting a lot more strikeouts. He was a part of a no-hitter just a couple weeks ago he's just become so dominant when he's on the mound that if you had any questions about whether or not it'd be Kyle Wright or you know Kyle Muller guys like that who are kind of in the same discussion for a long time with Ian mm-hmm. I don't think those guys are particularly close to him right now I'm I, we feel really good about the order we have right now you know with Pache being a clear one but I do think that Ian is a, a clear number two talking about multiple plus pitches he's a guy that has some real projectability both with his frame and you could see all this stuff improving as long as the command and control continues to improve you have his proximity to the majors which is a really important part of the equation for us again it was very much a clear distinction that Pache was a clear number one for us but Ian felt like a pretty clear number two as well there was a little bit of variability on, on some lists but Again, it felt like a very clear number two, and with everything that Ian has going for him, he's really distinguished himself from a lot of the other pitching prospects in the Braves system. And let me throw this out there real quick before we start talking about Drew Waters, because I do want to get to him as that top three, I think really is not necessarily head and shoulders above the entire rest of this group, but kind of in that vein and to that point, the Braves' top prospect list, and you know this, Eric, from going over this for a number of years now, not all prospect lists are created equal. Not all number one prospects are created equal across the 30 teams. The Braves have five, maybe six guys, I think, on this list that could easily be the number one prospect for probably 20 other teams in baseball. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. Yeah, especially those top three or four. Once you kind of get into the Kyle Muller, William Contreras range, 
maybe that list is a little bit shorter because sure. there's, a, there's a lot of talent. Well, let's say, the, let's the, say the 10 or 12 league. teams. You think 10 or 12 teams would like to say that Kyle Muller's their number one prospect? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Muller has been a guy that really climbed up our list this year, and I think that he's opened up a lot of eyes kind of with what his projectability is now and how much better he's gotten in terms of his overall stuff. So, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, a Contreras or a Kyle Muller kind of vying for the number one spot on, on a lot of teams' lists. Just, you know, again, once you kind of get into that 20-team range, there's a lot of really top prospects around there, around well, the league. Let's jump into Drew Waters for a moment. I got a chance to talk to Alex Anthopoulos a couple of weeks ago for quite a while, and one of the things that always is going to come up is, hey, what are you hearing out of the minor leagues from this guy and that guy and the other guy? Two guys I asked about in particular were Ian Anderson, and then, of course, you can't ask about Christian Pache without asking about Drew Waters because those two just seem to be almost synonymous when you think about the future of the Atlanta outfield. Those are two guys that you want to factor into that plan if you're looking for homegrown. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen with the trade deadline ahead of us. Of course, the winter, a lot of things could change. Some of these pitching prospects could be on their way out in order to bring in some major league-ready stuff. We all know about the excitement that goes on with that. But when we talk about just from an in-house planning perspective, Drew Waters, as a switch-hitting outfielder who has been leading the minor league in hits as of not too long ago and may still be doing that depending on when you listen to this podcast. But either way, I would say a breakout kind of season for Drew Waters. And keep in mind, both he and Ponche are doing this at 20 years old in A. So they're really, I think, showing that as far as major league readiness, they may not have checked every box just yet, but they can't be too terribly far away. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you have like a, a kid this young who is expected to really be challenged and struggle a little bit in double A just because, you know, the profile is doesn't walk a lot, really aggressive to play, he will strike out some. When you challenge a kid like that at a more advanced level, you would think that he would struggle more than he has, and all he's done is post an 889 OPS this season. And, you know, he's batting 335, he's stealing bases. It's kind of remarkable what he's been able to do, and it's kind of funny to watch, you know, Pache and Waters both like switching time you know, in center field. They kind of take one day in center field and then the other one takes it the other day back and forth. Yeah. And then you have, see the, the performances that they put up. You know, One day Pache will have a really good game, then it will be Waters. Whenever they both have really good games is generally when Mississippi wins handily. But okay. it's a really fun thing to watch. The one thing that we did hear about Waters is that because of his aggressive approach at the plate, people do worry if the on-base percentage is something that's going to project uh, as well as one would hope, you know, only walked 23 times this year, not the best walk rate. You hope that maybe that improves. He's an aggressive hitter, and, you know, it's kind of hard to fault the results because, if you know, if I was batting 335 in AA, I'd be swinging at everything too. And, you know, it's worked for him, especially for prolonged stretches this season. There's been times where he's, you know, had four or five games where he has kind of disappeared a little bit, and that's kind of where you start to worry about the strikeouts and you worry about, you know, him being able to work counts and things like that. But overall, just, you know, for a guy that was, again, thought highly of, but thought that maybe he was going to take a little bit longer, he wasn't going to be a guy that could you know, necessarily shoot up to the major leagues, may require a little bit more time and some more seasoning in the minor leagues. He's really jumped onto a lot of people's radars, not just ours. And, you know, again, you'll find people who love Waters and you know, maybe even prefer him over Pache. Mm-hmm. Uh, I question that decision, but there's a reason why that discussion is even happening, and that's because of the performance he's put up this season. Yeah, no doubt about it. You look at the prospect rankings to start the year across some of the major publications, whether that be MLB.com that had him at 86, uh, Baseball America had him at 83. Baseball Prospectus was a little bit more, I would say, aggressive in their ranking of Drew Waters, putting him at number 65, and we could pull up other lists as far as top 100s in baseball are concerned. But I think that Drew Waters certainly showed last year with, what, almost 40 doubles, nine triples, nine homers 
in the A-ball level at Rome and hitting nearly 300 as a 19-year-old that this guy has a serious hit tool, and I think it's something that's going to propel him. That's going to be the number one thing for him. I think you look at is Drew Waters is going to be the hitter first, and the glove is great, but as far as Christian Pache is concerned, it's going to be you're hearing a lot about the glove, and then you're excited because he's finally showing the offensive ability. So similar but different players in terms of what it is that makes them so great as prospects. Uh, Eric Cole, let's go down the list a little bit more. I know we talked a little bit about Kyle Muller, who has taken some big steps forward this year. Kyle Wright's a guy that I look at that in the spring, I felt like he was big league ready, and I, I was a little bit confused when he got bumped out of rotation and sent back down to Gwinnett. He had not pitched well there for about six or seven weeks. Last four or five, six starts maybe, it looks like Kyle Wright's starting to put some stuff together. I still think that this kid has the ceiling to be a front-of-the-rotation starter. He's only two years removed from being a top-ten pick in the draft and hasn't been dealing with injury or that kind of thing. I think more than anything, it's the consistency of putting him out there every fifth day, letting him know what his job is, and then maybe seeing what you've got there. But that, Eric, becomes a little bit harder to do when your big league team is now expected to win. So some things have changed for the Braves over the last couple of years. Absolutely. And the problem with Kyle is not stuff. You know, it's again, it's a really good breaking ball. It's a plus fastball. He, he knows how to pitch, has that kind of college experience behind him. He got to the major leagues very, very quickly. If you kind of, mm-hmm. if you, He was drafted in the 2017 draft, and he made his major league debut last year. So it's hard to kind of be like, what's wrong with him, when in reality he just doesn't have a ton of professional experience. But the thing that I've maintained since he was in AA last season was that what seems to happen, and I'm not sure if this is an approach or if it's a fatigue thing, it's, it's kind of hard for us to pin down right now, is that that first time through the order, he can look really good, particularly with his command. His stuff is lights out. There's a lot of movement. You know, It seems like he has a plan, and he's very aggressive. That second time through the order, it just feels like he starts nibbling a bit, and that's when you see him starting to walk guys, and that's when you see the stuff kind of backing off a bit as though he's trying to make sure he can throw strikes and almost overcommand his pitches. And that's where he can get himself into trouble because, you know, again, it kind of, he doesn't want to throw the ball over the plate and not really trust his stuff as much. And what we've seen in the last five starts is he's just having that problem less and less. You know, he you know, just last month he had a 10 strikeout game. He's had a pair of eight strikeout games. He's looked really good over the last month, month and a half or so. But, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. It's not something that's going to come super easily. And, there's going to be a little bit of issues with the home run ball, which is just kind of a thing he's going to have to work with, especially considering what's going on with that AAA yeah. and Major League Baseball. I was going to say, I think that's just where we're at in baseball right now, unless or until they get an R&D team in there to change that baseball out. Oh, yeah. And again, he's, he's going to give up some long ball. There's no question. He just has to trust his stuff more and just understand that you know his stuff is really good. He doesn't have to back off on it to try to overcommand it because that's when he kind of gets himself in trouble. And if that, anything knocked him on our list, it was just kind of the inconsistency that we've seen over the last year plus in that, you know, sometimes he looks great and sometimes he really doesn't. It's kind of a, he's like another guy uh, very similar to how Sean Newcomb was when he was in the minors or even in the major leagues is that he would look great for four innings and mm-hmm. then he'd have one really bad one. And the overall line's like, wow, this guy wasn't really good. And it doesn't really tell the whole story and it's not the easiest thing to pin down. Yeah. And that's a big thing. I think for a lot of folks that only know prospects to either line scores or box scores or, Hey, over his last 15 games, this guy has done X, Y, and Z. You really do have to have somebody evaluating the talent from that on-field perspective, the eyeball test, as you talked about, the scouting, and then letting that happen over time. Because I know from talking to minor league scouts over time that they would come through in April and they would see a guy, I'm not really impressed, come back through in June that first week. They're like, this is a totally different guy. Well, 
he may not have really been ramped up, especially when we talk about pitchers early in the season, and he just may not have found his groove yet or may have been working on a pitch, some other thing that could be going on, some piece of development. It's such a puzzle, and I think it's really more of a mosaic when you really start to look at all the different aspects and maybe just the different layers that go into trying to figure out and properly project some of these minor league guys as far as what kind of assets they are for you in the future. So Kyle Wright doesn't have to have it all figured out one year out of Vanderbilt or two years out of Vanderbilt, but I think the stuff's there to get it figured out. Let's look at the top 10 here on the list for Talking Chop. We got Pache, Anderson, Waters, Wright, Muller. Then you get into William Contreras, who we can talk about in just a moment. Two spots behind him is Shea Langoliers, and I'm going to skip Bryce Wilson because I think people are probably fairly familiar with him since he's pitching in the big league rotation right now. Jaciel De La Cruz and Tucker Davidson, a couple of interesting arms. Then Joey Wentz and Braden Shoemake. That's the top dozen players in there. Uh, let's go with the two catchers, Contreras and Langoliers. Where do you see the future of catching for the Atlanta Braves organization if you're looking at William Contreras and Shea Langoliers? Well, really, it's going to come down between those two guys as to which one ends up really hitting. Um, Contreras had a pretty decent year down in Florida. I'm always skeptical of the overall numbers in the Florida State League because it's a notoriously pitcher-friendly yes, environment. And I think there's maybe four guys in the whole league that have an OPS over 800, which is kind of absurd. And there's constant rainouts, so it's kind of, you know, are these guys really on their routine? It's, there's a lot of other things that can go into a guy not performing super well down there. You know, when Ronald Acuna has, you know, struggles to have an 800 OPS in high A, you, know, you have to question the environment that he's in versus kind of what he is actually is as a player. Yeah, I question the yeah. league completely. The league is yeah, Ronald Acuna is not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough place to play. I would kind of wish that the Braves had a different high A affiliate in a different league, but it's kind of a discussion for a different time because, again, it just seems like a really rough place to play. But Contreras got bumped up to double A and really hasn't hit yet. He's he, He's done a little bit better lately, but... It's between those two guys, it's going to come down to who hits. And, you know, Langoliers, he's playing basically every other day down in Rome. He's sharing time with Ricardo Rodriguez. And it's kind of, I'm sure after a long college season, it's really impossible to gauge what his bat's going to be, considering where he is and kind of how he's being, he's used. I'm more interested to see what he looks like next season than this one. And in my early looks at him, he looked great. Batting practice looked like he had a strong swing and, you know, really smooth and he could go to all fields. And, you know, again, I'm going to be more discerning, you know, once he kind of gets down to instructs and whatever changes the Braves want to make, or if they want to, you know, kind of see how much rest he needs in the offseason and all that stuff. It's going to be tough between those two because they're both really good. Contreras is borderline top 100 prospect right now. Langlaire's is probably right behind him. So it's kind of a wait and see for us in terms of what ends up happening. But Langlaire's is a really good defensive catcher, and Contreras has gotten significantly better, has all the tools to be a good catcher. He's just a little bit younger and a little less experienced than Langlaire's sure. is. So I expect both of them to kind of be vying at very similar levels next season, which makes things a little bit tricky. So looking at those two catchers, that obviously is something that's going to be fun to watch unfold. There are a couple of arms on here that aren't the usual names that you hear when you're into the Anderson, Wright, Muller, Joey Wentz, who's sitting at number 11, of course, Bryce Wilson, and some of the arms that not too long ago have come through the system and joined the rotation at the big league level. But Jaciel De La Cruz and Tucker Davidson are a couple of guys that seem to be making some waves this year. What can you tell us about those two, and where do you think they fit in the overall big picture? So Jaciel in particular was a guy that we were really in on when he was at Rome last season. What ended up happening to him is he was injured, and when he came back, his the pitch that really made him start to have a breakout season in Rome was his breaking ball, and it just didn't come back 
last season. And we were actually really bummed out about that because we thought he could be a guy who could break out as a, you know, has the fastball that could be competitive against major league hitters, but that breaking ball really kind of set him apart from a lot of pitching prospects and allowed him to dictate, you know, what he was going to be doing in a lot of matchups. And this season, that breaking ball is back, and he's, you know, kind of ascended the ladder. He threw a no-hitter this year, and now he's at double-A, and he's been pitching well. You know, he'll have rough starts here and there, like you expect with any pitching prospect. But we're really impressed with kind of what we've seen from him, and we gave him a bump up just because there's a lot of projectability there, and there's a lot of chance that that stuff plays up as he continues to refine it. Tucker Davidson's a guy that I think a lot of people have been sleeping on. We He had a rough season in Florida, of all places. Yeah. Again, a place that you would expect him to pitch well. Sure. He didn't pitch particularly well last season. But he's a guy that was started off as a reliever, draft, you know, kind of one of those later-round draft picks that the Braves converted into a starter in Rome. And all of a sudden, you see this guy throwing mid-90s with, you know, again, there's some effort to the delivery. There's certainly some injury risk with him. I mean, some reliever risk with him. But... He, all the guy does is perform, and in double-A, he's been probably Mississippi's best pitcher in terms of just from beginning of the season to now, in terms of overall production. You know, he's been leading the league in the ERA for most of the season, and it's been really kind of fun to watch a guy who wasn't didn't have that pedigree that you would expect really turn out and really start to dominate like he has been. Now, Joey Wentz is right behind those two guys. I think Joey's kind of had some up and down in his minor league career in terms of just kind of maybe figuring out the arsenal a little bit, maybe the stuff has been in question here or there, but it seems like lately he's also unlocked a different level for AA Mississippi. Maybe it's just finally getting into, as you mentioned, a routine and feeling himself in terms of getting out there on the mound and having everything working. I don't know that Joey Wentz or any of these guys in particular that are pitching at Mississippi or lower have gotten into any kind of make or break kind of scenario in terms of what does this year need to be for him. I think over the next year or two, we'll start to find that out, but it's going to be fascinating to see what they do at AAA Gwinnett because if you go beyond Joey Wentz, all of a sudden, well, there's Patrick Weigel. And then, obviously, Kyle Wright is at AAA. And you've had Bryce Wilson at AAA a lot. Then some guy named Mike Fultonevich has had to go back down to AAA and figure some stuff out. Waskari Noah has been up at AAA as well. So there's a lot of interesting arms spread across the upper level. And, oh, by the way, Colby Allard, who was a Braves top pick a few years ago, He's been at AAA for a couple of years now. Even as a younger prospect who has aggressively moved through the minor leagues, there are going to be a lot of interesting decisions for the Braves to make on their 40-man roster and also on these minor league rosters as they try to grow these guys and groom them into being major league pieces. Yeah, I'm, hopefully some of those questions will be answered after the trade deadline. Sure. We expect that at least maybe not some of the top-tier guys. I don't know if the trade market is one that would lend itself to trading any of those big-time guys. But in some of the, like, those second-tier guys, those guys could be moved, and that would kind of answer some questions and allow some guys to move up and get some opportunities in the higher levels. Whereas right now, it's just tough. There's just so many arms. You don't want to just give them away. You don't just want to release them. You want to either get some value out of them on for your club or you want to make the right deal to send them somebody. Because, I mean, if Patrick Weigel's your number 13 prospect, that's a guy who was your organizational pitcher of the year, and before he was hurt was looking like he was about to make it to the major leagues. Yeah, and right just, you don't want to give a guy like that away. So, Cole Waller's the same thing. Is he the same guy that was considered, you know, one of the top picks in the draft? Uh, in that draft, no. But he's still a very, he's been a very productive pitcher in AAA. And has added a cutter this year and has really kind of helped himself have a different sort of breaking ball to give guys different looks to keep guys off his fastball. And 
those are guys have value. It's just, you know, it's tough because you have these guys that you don't want to get rid of, but you have these guys down in double A who are just waiting for an opportunity and they're chomping at the bit and ultimately they're going to force the Braves to make some decisions here. If not at the trade deadline, at least this off mix coming off season. Yeah. That's something Alex Anthopoulos mentioned when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, look, they know that there's a log jam, especially the starting rotation. I didn't even mention Tuki Toussaint who's pitching in relief for the big league club. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of arms that, are up in front of some of the guys that are stuck then in AAA, which obviously will block some guys into AA. And then behind that, it seems like some of the pitching prospects start to slow down just a little bit. But either way, the Braves still have, even at this point, with a Mike Soroka having graduated, with a Max Fried having joined the rotation and graduated from a prospect list, there's a lot of things that you got to like about 10 or 12 more arms on this list, especially in that first what, 15, 20, 25 guys on the top 30 for Talking Chop. Uh, let's go back to the 2019 draft and talk about Braden Shoemake for a minute. I think he's an interesting player in terms of the hit tool, but I don't think people knew a lot about him or expected him to go necessarily where he went or for the Braves to be the team that were in on him. Uh, early returns, though, in Rome have been pretty good for this kid. I think he's going to hit. I'm curious and just kind of hearing from the Braves scouting side of things when they went with this pick, it seems like he may be a shortstop. He may not. He may play a couple of infield positions. He might even end up in the outfield. So for Shoemake, I think versatility and his hit ability is going to get him through the Braves system and possibly put him on the radar sooner than later as a college bat who was drafted just this past June. It took me a while to come around on this particular pick because when he was first drafted, my first thought was he would be an underslot guy and would allow them to sign a lot of these day three picks that we, we were rather high on, yeah. which, again, made a certain amount of sense. And if you're talking about an analytically-minded scouting department and an analytically-minded front office, a guy like Braden Schumacher is going to grade very highly in those sorts of models yep, because absolutely. he's an SEC hitter, one of the best conferences in college baseball, uh, like in most sports, really. And he's been a performer throughout his college career. All those are going to grade out really well and project well as a guy who will make it to the major leagues. You know, you can argue about his upside. I personally think that he could put on some weight and some strength and really kind of add some pop to his bat. I don't know if that's going to happen. It's kind of hard to project a guy who is already kind of a college seasoned guy as being physically projectable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already grown up in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? He might just, this might just be what he is physically. But when I, whenever I've seen him, it's again, it's an open stance. It's not one that's necessarily built for a lot of power, but he hits the ball hard. It's a line drive swing, so when he does hit the ball and he hits the ball hard, it's again to the gaps or you know hard singles, things like that, balls that get out of the infield in a hurry. Is there a change in the approach and the change of the swing that could make that better? Maybe. I don't know if that's necessarily something that he's going to be open to or the Braves even want to change, but the results have been good in, in Rome, and he's looked good in the field. He's had a couple of rough games. I don't know where his position ends up being. I like his arm, and a lot of times he looks really smooth at short. Other times it looks a little bit rougher, but I don't know if necessarily – all the members of Rome's infield have been helping him uh, in a lot of those games. So he's very interesting to us in that, especially since there's several of us who really thought there were some more higher upside guys they could have picked there. So we're really watching him closely to kind of see what the Braves see and hopefully change some of our minds. All right. Tell me a little bit about Victor Vodnik. This is a fantastic name. I think it's one that's almost like a Marvel comic book villain kind of name, or at the very least with the alliteration maybe work in the independent wrestling scene as a heel. Victor Vodnik is a great name, but what can you tell us about Victor Vodnik, the baseball player? Uh, so he's a prep pick. There was a day three pick, I believe, from last year's draft, not this past one. Mm-hmm. And a name that our own Matt Powers was really excited the Braves to have because he was already throwing in the 90s coming out of the prep ranks, which is great news, right? 
Well, he gets to Rome, and then we start hearing tales of how he's starting to hit 100 miles an hour, and we're like, wow, that's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. He is a pitcher that not only is throwing the ball extremely hard, again, that high 90s has touched triple digits, he's getting a lot of movement on his fastball. Now, early on, he's getting treated very similarly to what uh, Freddie Tarnock was being treated in Rome last season, where they started him off in the bullpen, really raw arm, seeing what he could do, and what he was doing is just blowing guys away. I mean, in low A, when you're throwing high 90s, there's basically no hope for the guys against you. Right. And they really just gave him a chance in the bullpen, got him stretched out a little bit, and now he's being converted into a starter. He was Rome's pitcher of the month a month ago, I believe, and he's doing some injury stuff, nothing crazy. I think he has a blister issue right now, but it's big-time stuff. It's, the fastball is going to carry him. Is there reliever risk when a kid's throwing that hard and maybe the secondaries aren't fully developed? Yes. But the fastball has a ton of movement on it in addition to being hard. And when we talk to Brave Scouts, and like you know, several of us have shared our list, just kind of, hey, what do you think about this? The one name that has consistently said you should have put him higher is Vodnik. So that tells you a lot about what the Braves think of him. And, yeah. again, he's a prep arm, so they, I don't expect him to move crazy fast. And, you know, there's going to be hiccups along the way, but it's high-octane stuff. Let's take a look at a few more names here as we kind of move toward the middle to back end of the list. We won't be able to hit all 30 of these guys, but I do encourage you, if you're enjoying this chat, that you check out Talking Chops' Top 30 Prospects. They've broken it down into a multi-part series and lots of great stuff that clearly we could spend an hour or two just talking about the top five or ten players on this list, much less trying to get through all 30. A name that fascinates me is Tristan Beck, who is a guy that's kind of been on the radar, the draft radar for a while. In fact, he's a guy that other clubs have taken a shot at before. If you look at the Brewers and the Yankees, both trying to lure him away. And he ended up at Stanford and ended up as a Braves property in the fourth round as he was picked in the 2018 draft. I think he's kind of a fascinating um, arm, a lot of I think upside is there, but he hasn't necessarily put it all together just yet because I think he's been having to do the thing that a lot of young players do, and that's work your way through some injury and some inconsistency. Yeah, he's a guy that the Braves have targeted for a while as well. He he seemed pretty committed to going to Stanford. And as a college arm, getting him in the fourth round is a guy who, for a lot of people, was a, a back end of the first round, second round grade guy. To get him in the fourth round of the 2018 draft was a big big deal and for especially for a team to end up losing its first pick getting a guy like Beck where you kind of overall the overall talent level of the draft really increases when you are able to add him the thing that's been interesting about his year is that this is you know again he's first season and full season ball was not good to start the season at all he did not look good uh wasn't missing bats didn't seem like that polished arm that you would think and he went down with a pretty severe groin injury and missed for i don't know about two months maybe a little bit longer than that comes back and Three of his past four starts, he's given up zero earned runs. He's starting to miss more bats. He's The command looks significantly better. Sometimes when a guy's injured, and it really can take some time to look at some of the things that aren't going right for him, mm-hmm. uh, as well as just getting his body right. Overall, he, he's looked really good in coming back, and we felt comfortable putting him in the top 30. What his overall upside is, maybe he's just a back-of-the-rotation type pitcher at this point, and you can't really bank on him as that kind of high-octane first-round pick that maybe he was coming out of high school or early in his career in Stanford because there is some injury history, and it's kind of all over the place in terms of what's bothered him. But overall, if you're looking at the body of work and what he could be, he's 
a college arm that has a real chance of making the major leagues in the rotation, and you really can't really go wrong with betting a guy in your top 30 like that. No, not at all. As we look at this top 30, and we've heard a lot about, talked a lot about as well, the number of pitching prospects the Braves have, but their position player prospects have also started to turn into, I think, a big reason for the Braves' success is pretty obvious when you talk about a Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies, even what Johan Camargo did, even not being a heralded prospect whatsoever in most of his time in the minor leagues. The Braves have managed to grow a few guys. Some shortstop named Dansby Swanson they plucked from Arizona. I mean, they've done pretty well generating some young talent, getting them through the system, and even if they've grown at different ranks or different rates, rather, and they have different skills and abilities. The Braves' position players have been a reason for the success of this rebuild and for the big league team's success. Looking through here, a name that has seemed to pop up more times than not, at least in my timeline on Twitter when I'm trying to follow what might be going on in the minor leagues on a given day is Justin Dean. What can you tell us about Justin Dean? Because I think that he's kind of a guy that I can't say I came into 2019 having a whole lot of expectation for, but he's been a pretty pleasant surprise, it looks like. Absolutely. Uh, he was on our radar mainly because uh, Matt wouldn't stop shouting about him as a guy that they really liked the profile. Again, low-profile draft pick in that draft, and he comes into Rome, and not a big guy in terms of you know overall height. He doesn't, like, when you look at him, you don't think, you know, that's a, a professional baseball player until you see him put on a uniform and realize that this kid is much stronger than you would give him credit for, and the guy can absolutely fly and plays really well in center field. There's no question about the speed, and there's no question about his ability defensively. You know, covers a lot of ground, makes really good decisions out there. What it has been surprising is just how hard he hits the ball and how he comes to play every single day. And from a guy who was kind of a fringe, interesting guy with some tools, when you find a guy like that who also has the work ethic and has the, you know, has the makeup to really try to get the most out of what he has, and a guy who doesn't get the credit he needs to in terms of what his overall ability to, you know, put the bat on the ball and do something with it. It's he's been really, really good this year. If there wasn't more, I guess there's a bit of a clog ahead of him in the outfield, Mm -hmm. especially with his uh, former uh, colleague at down at Rome, Trey Harris, what Trey Harris was doing at Rome was even louder than what Dean was doing. It's tough for him to kind of get moved up but as, you know, a guy that is a college guy who is a little bit older. He's a guy that could very easily be in double A next year just because of the overall skill set. We've really enjoyed watching him. The best tool is arguably is probably his speed, but he has a lot of other things going for him that I don't think people realize. Yeah, I think he could steal 40 bases, especially in the minor leagues. Doesn't get caught very much, walks some, strikes out a little bit, but your ability to walk and on base at close to a 400 clip, I'll take that, even if there are a few strikeouts that come with it. So just some of the interesting types of talents that you find in the middle to the bottom of the Braves list when it comes to a top 30 like Talking Chop put together. Just some very interesting names. Travis Demerich, you can find him at number 22. He's been on the radar for quite some time. He's a triple-A, enjoying the baseball that they're using there. But we all knew Travis Demerit had power before what he's turned on and, and what he's shown uh, in 2019. And then some of these other guys toward the bottom, I did want to ask very quickly because I always like to talk about prospect number one, but maybe prospect number 30 is a good guy to end on. What can you tell me about Bryce Ball? It's a great baseball name, but what can Braves fans expect from him? And what's he look like in the early portion of his pro career? So he might be a guy that we actually ranked too low. Um, it's a tough thing when you have a guy that's drafting the 24th round of Dallas Baptist. You know, he's already 21, so you have to take some of the numbers with a grain of salt, but he's a guy that we knew that had a bunch of raw power as a first-base prospect. What we didn't think was going to happen is what he's done this season, where he's already posted an OPS of 1.197 in his first good. 23 games. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, already has nine home runs down in uh, Danville, uh, which is the, the more advanced rookie ball league between the two rookie ball leagues the Braves have. I think he's ready for Rome right now, at the very least to be tested there. It seems like every night he has multiple hits, and every night he is at least one extra base hit, if not a home run, and he's walking at a good clip. There's a lot of things he's just doing really well. He's not being challenged in rookie ball right now. Whether or not that move happens, because, again, you know you have other roster considerations, but I think he's a guy that's ready for Rome, and honestly, by our preseason list, when we, you know, we already started kind of thinking about looking ahead as to kind of what's going to happen with graduations and things like that. If he keeps up this pace, and especially if he can get to Rome and continue doing it, he's a guy that could shoot up the list in a hurry because this guy's just flat out raking. Yeah, I just turned 21 years old. If you're curious about what he was doing in college this year, all he'd done was hit 18 home runs there in 63 games. His first 23 pro games as we record this midweek, nine home runs. As Eric mentioned, he's hitting close to 350 as well. Not striking out much either, so it looks like he's a very complete hitter and could use the challenge. We'll see where he ends up in 2019 and, of course, beyond as he grows, hopefully, with all 30 of these men to become something of value for the Atlanta Braves, either at the big league level or whatever level they get to, and perhaps in trades as we reach the trade deadline. So let's close up with that. Eric, as you look at your top prospect list, I know you just spent a lot of time making this and putting it just the way you guys wanted it. It could get changed quite a bit over the next couple of weeks. What kind of moves do you expect? And when you do look at some of these top guys, whether it's Pache, Anderson, or Waters, I think you and I are probably in lockstep on this. It's not that I have an aversion to trading a young player, but I want to make sure if I'm trading top players like that, that are top 100 prospects, really top 25 prospects in the game, I've got to get somebody back that gives me multiple chances to use at the major league level. If it's a starting pitcher, if it's a reliever, if it's a, another hitter, not that the Braves necessarily need it, but hey, if the right deal comes along, whatever, I've just got to get more bang for my buck if I'm going to be spending at the top of the level. And, and one of the big reasons I think why that is, is we know that the Braves payroll is never going to eclipse $200 million. So they're going to have to be creative. And I think Pache, Anderson, Waters, and some of these other names, gosh, they sure would look great wearing an Atlanta Braves uniform. Where do you think this all shakes out when you look at this trade deadline? And do you expect a big move? from the Braves? Do you expect one of these guys to maybe be shipped off somewhere else? At the top, I don't really think so. I think a combination of the fact that there is a, you can see places for a lot of these guys in the very near future. It's not, you have to think two or three years down the road. You can think about 2020 and you can think about a lot of these names getting a real look, right? And if that's the case, then what you really need, if you're going to be moving one of those guys, is that not only they would give you a better chance for this season, but really looking at 2020 as well. And I wouldn't necessarily move one of those guys unless I had some getting a guy that not only was good, but also had some team control with him. And this trade market is so bizarre right now because the entirety of the National League is currently still in contention, except for like two teams. And even that's a, even a little bit debatable. And the American League is maybe there's a few other teams that are kind of falling out and might be more clear sellers. There's not a lot. And the, the sellers in this market are going to be asking for a fortune for those guys that maybe aren't even overly great, but there's such a disparity of talent on the trade market that at least the one that's readily available and visible to us as observers, right? There's going to be yeah. guys who are available that it's not, they're not being talked about right now. But in terms of what's obviously available, I just don't see guys that I wouldn't want to move one of those top six or so prospects for. Maybe if you get in those teams and stuff like that and you see a rental that really could make a difference for this season, that makes a lot more sense for me. But any of the guys who are like in the top 100 prospects in baseball and the Braves have a few of them this year, I, I just I don't see the move at the trade deadline that would really do anything for me. Now, in the offseason, that's a little bit different. 
It's going to be very interesting to see what direction the Braves decide to go at the trade deadline. And I think, Eric, one of the things we'll find out, as maybe some names are obvious and other names we don't know about yet, quite a few teams have to figure out over the next week or 10 days exactly what they are going up to the trade deadline. Are they in in 2019? Are they out? And if so, are they looking to rebuild or are they looking to retool for 2020 and beyond? So we'll see what kind of decisions are made by other clubs that could affect the Atlanta Braves and turning it into a little bit more of a buyer's market than a seller's market, which it may be a little bit of a combination of the two, depending on what team you're calling right now. So uh, we'll see how all that goes, but the Braves certainly have an embarrassment of riches at the minor league level. And you guys over talking shop do a great job of keeping everybody up to date and in the know about all of these guys. So I appreciate you making all this time for me. Let me ask you real quick to go ahead and plug everything you're doing to talking shop quite obviously, and the road to Atlanta. Great podcast. If you're into Braves prospects, I don't know that there's a better source to find it. So go ahead and tell us where we can find all of that and what you guys have coming up. Sure. Uh, the trade deadline is a pretty big topic for us over at Talking Shop. We're already rolling out profiles of guys the Braves could target and what that would ultimately cost and what that would mean for the organization going forward. So that's kind of our next big project. Uh, if you want to find out about prospects, you can go to the website every day at 10 o'clock. We post our minor league recaps where we recap every game that's in the minor league system. And that's a good way to keep up with your prospect itch, if you will. Uh, also, the Road to Atlanta is a podcast that's devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. We post that every Thursday. There's been a little bit of deviation lately, but it's basically every Thursday or Friday towards the end of the week where we discuss, you know, the topics going on down in the minor leagues, guys who we really liked. And if there's anything, we cover special topics. We've had a lot of really great guests on the show, including yours truly, uh, as well as a lot of other national prospect guys who have come in and we talk about the Braves. And it's been a really good time rebooting that show. So if you want to find that, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking Shop podcast on whatever purveyor of podcasts you choose to use. All right. Well, I'll make sure that people are clicking that subscribe button. We'll put some links up as well. But really appreciate you, Eric, making all this time and joining me here on From the Diamond. Absolutely, man. It's always great talking to you. My thanks again to Eric Cole of TalkingChop.com. Make sure you check out that midseason Top 30 Braves prospects. Again, TalkingChop.com is where you can find it. And before we get out of here on this episode of From the Diamond, I want to take a look ahead at what's coming up for the Braves. They've got a six-game homestand ongoing that includes four games against the Washington Nationals, then an off day on Monday, two games against the Kansas City Royals, another off day, and then it's back out on the road for a three-game set in Philly and a three-game set against the Washington Nationals. I think it's worth noting, as the Braves and the rest of baseball rumble toward the trade deadline, there could, of course, be a move. But if you're looking for something to keep an eye on with the Braves' rotation heading toward that road trip, if Max Fried doesn't have any further issues with that blister on his left index finger, he could be activated and start a game against the Phillies. He could be activated from the IL to start a game against the Phillies in that weekend series about seven days from now. So we'll see how that all shakes out. We'll see what the Braves decide to do. But those off days are coming at a good time as Atlanta is trying to piece this rotation together and Alex Anthopoulos is burning up the phones looking for the pieces to add to his club as the trade deadline nears on July 31st. So that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. Connect with the show on social media. Find it on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. On Instagram, it is at From the Diamond to find the show, and I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And every episode of From the Diamond and all the articles and good stuff I'm putting up throughout the season, you can find that at FromTheDiamond.com. So I'll be back with you next week as we continue our Braves and baseball discussion throughout the season. And if there's any breaking news or big stories, maybe there'll be a bonus episode of From the Diamond. So be on the lookout for that as we try to keep you up to date on all the good things happening for the Braves and the rest of baseball. 
That'll do it for our time on this episode. I'm Grant McCauley, and until next time, so long, everyone.